Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig with details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? It's time for the tech news for Thursday, November 3rd, 2022. Let's rip off the Band-Aid, y'all, and get the obligatory updates about Twitter out of the way first. Elon Musk has said that banned accounts, such as the one belonging to former U.S. President Donald Trump, will remain off Twitter until the company has established a clear process for evaluating and potentially reinstating accounts. That means it's unlikely that the former president will be able to hop back onto Twitter before the U.S. midterm elections, which happen on November 8th. Uh, Next, Musk is running damage control while trying to reassure advertisers that Twitter will not descend into total chaos and that companies should totally feel good about advertising there. This argument was probably not helped by the fact that in the wake of Musk taking over Twitter, the use of racist language and hate speech increased by nearly five times the frequency of their use prior to the takeover. That's according to researchers from Montclair State University. The ad world 
is already seeing a slowdown across the industry due to economic issues. This is not just something that's affecting Twitter, but some advertising companies have been advising their clients to perhaps pause their spending on Twitter while they wait for a clear content policy from the new CEO. As for what's happening within the company itself, Bloomberg reports that Musk is looking to cut roughly half of all staff, which is still less than what we had previously heard with the the term 75% bandied about uh, late last month. But good gravy, that is a lot of people. Okay, that gets us up to speed with what's going on there. Let's put Twitter in the rearview mirror and keep on going. The Register reports that Microsoft is considering a strategy to offer PCs through subscriptions and ads rather than your traditional upfront purchase price. So in other words, if you're in the market for a PC and Microsoft does this, you could get a computer for like a low monthly subscription and or agreeing to have ads served to you. Jeff Burt, the reporter who wrote the article on the Register, reminds us that this is just something that is being considered and that we may actually never see ad-subsidized PCs from Microsoft. But considering the PC market in general has seen a sharp decline in sales recently, I would not be surprised to learn that companies are looking at alternatives in an effort to remain profitable. Such a PC would likely lean heavily on cloud-based services and apps. That means it might not necessarily be particularly beefy. So for the gamers out there, I suspect this offer would not really mean anything because it's not likely to be the sort of PC that you would want to run games off of. But if you want a productivity PC, uh, this might end up being a way that you can get access to one without having to pay hundreds of bucks to buy one. If, as I said, Microsoft moves forward, we'll have to wait and see. The PC market is not the only one in the tech industry that is seeing tough times ahead. Qualcomm, which is a microchip provider, it makes the processors that power tons of smartphones, including iPhones and uh, Android phones, is predicting that phone sales are going to slow down significantly due to the uncertain economic climate. Folks are understandably looking to spend less money as inflation rises in various parts of the world, which makes sense. You want to make sure you're holding back money so you can pay for necessities, right? And as a result, we're seeing fewer folks rush out to buy new tech gadgets like computers and smartphones. Previously, Qualcomm had predicted that smartphone sales were going to decline in the single-digit percentage range, so anywhere between 1% and 9%. But now Qualcomm has adjusted this prediction to say that it will be more likely a low double-digit percentage decline. The uncertain economic climate is not the only factor at play here. Another is that the supply chain issues, which were such a huge challenge over the last couple of years, are finally clearing up in some sectors, but this has actually led to increased inventory. So you've got more supply and declining demand. Qualcomm predicts this decline in demand will extend through the rest of the year, and that there are currently around 8 to 10 weeks worth of elevated inventory among various carriers out there. So keep an eye out for smartphone deals in case you're actually in the market to get a new phone before the end of this year. It is possible that we might see some enticing sales around the holidays as companies attempt to offload some of this inventory. It's not a guarantee, but it is a possibility. And if you are someone who needs to get a new phone and who has you know, money set aside to do that, 
be on the lookout for those potential deals. They may very well be around the corner. No guarantee, but I'd be shocked if we didn't see some massive sales around the Black Friday event. You know, a wise frog once said, it's not easy being green, but it's also not easy to be Radiant Orchid or Tangerine Tango or Spectera Yellow. Those are names of colors designed by Pantone. And you know it's not easy because if you use Adobe's Creative Suite programs, you now have to pay extra to Pantone in order to use those or any other colors that they've created. Recently, Adobe users have discovered that in order to use certain colors, they have to agree to a $15 per month subscription to Pantone in order to access those. This is due to a change in the licensing agreement between Adobe and Pantone. And if you're not in design, you might think, what's the big deal here? They are colors owned by some company. Just use some other color. But Pantone has established itself as sort of an industry standard for design when it comes to color. The color matching in Pantone means you know exactly what you're getting when you use those colors. Of course, those colors might appear differently to the end user depending upon how they're viewing them, like print versus their screen versus a pristinely calibrated screen, etc. If a designer has not coughed up this subscription fee, they will encounter the color black rather than, you know, poppy red or vibrant green or whatever Pantone color was supposed to be there. This also applies to past designs. So if you are a designer and you use the Adobe suite and you created stuff in the past and you have not yet subscribed to this, if you go back and open up any of your old designs that had Pantone colors in it, you're going to see that those colors have been replaced with black and you'll get a message saying that you need to subscribe to Pantone in order to get access to those colors again. On top of all this, it sounds like Pantone's solution, which is to download a plugin extension that will supposedly work with the Adobe suite, hasn't had a 100% success rate when it comes to designers actually installing that plugin. Some people are reporting that they have gone through the whole process of subscribing and getting the plugin and installing it, and yet have not been able to access the plugin's features, so they haven't been able to get access to those colors after all. Users have let their displeasure be known by review bombing the plugin, which currently has a rating of around one and a half stars, which is a big old yikes. The Guardian reports that TikTok, which recently updated its privacy policy, has revealed that staff around the world can have access to user data, including within the European Union. That is a big issue due to the EU's stance on citizen privacy and how data should be handled. The GDPR has extensive rules about the fact that EU citizen data is supposed to be kind of contained within the EU itself. You're not supposed to have that data go outside the EU without express permissions granted. And the thought of people in other parts of the world indiscriminately being able to access personal information about EU citizens runs counter to those rules. And according to The Guardian, uh, even staff in China would be able to look at user data in the EU that's something that we've seen kind of echoed here in the U.S. We've seen policymakers and analysts raise red flags that TikTok's parent company, which is ByteDance, a Chinese company, 
could potentially end up sharing information by choice or otherwise with the Chinese government. This is something that TikTok reps have denied multiple times, but it remains a concern in the U.S. and in other places. This is likely to feed into investigations in the EU by the Irish Data Protection Commission. That's an agency that has had multiple tech companies in their sites to hold them accountable for their data practices with regard to EU citizen private information. So not the end of the story by any means, but it's another another sign of how this interconnected world starts to run into some really challenging problems when you're coming into realms like protecting user privacy and security. How do you ensure that when you're talking about a global system, but you don't have a global society, right? We have a very fractured society around the world. So yeah, interesting story. When we come back, we'll talk about a similar story unfolding here in the United States, also involving TikTok, right after this break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. 
We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. We're back. So over here in the United States, FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr has said that the government should probably just outright ban TikTok from operating within the United States. Carr told reporters that he saw very little chance for any sort of suitable arrangement to be made regarding TikTok and the U.S. government, specifically with the focus on national security concerns. Uh, he expressed pessimism that any deal would be ironclad enough to prevent TikTok from sharing data with ByteDance. And as such, there would be no real way forward to really protect U.S. data other than just banning TikTok outright in the United States, which is a pretty jarring thing to consider. I cannot remember a time when the U.S. government told a U.S.-based company we cannot let you exist here. I mean, apart from companies that ended up being total scams, right? Total scams you get because that is a deception played upon the U.S. population. The government may well get involved in those cases. But for ones where it's not a scam, but there is a national security element to it, that's kind of an outlier. Uh, TikTok, rem uh, just to remind you, again, it is a subsidiary of, of the Chinese company ByteDance, but TikTok itself is U.S.-based, so it is a complicated matter. Um, TikTok has obviously tried to settle these concerns in various ways. This summer, uh, it migrated all of U.S. user data to servers that are on Oracle's systems. So uh, those servers are not Chinese-based servers, and TikTok was really hoping that that would help take some of the heat off the company as various policymakers began to question whether or not the company represents a threat to national security. All that being said, FCC Commissioner Carr has expressed his own opinion. He does not factor into the negotiations between TikTok and the U.S. government, so it's not his decision to make. He's just saying, I can't imagine a deal that would be sufficient to protect U.S. citizens. And really, the only way forward I see, if you want to protect citizens, is to ban TikTok. That, you know, obviously that does not mean the U.S. government will ban TikTok. In fact, I, I think that's an, a, a very small possibility. Maybe it'll happen. Uh, it's hard for me to say. I mean, I have no insight on this other than it feels to me like that's unlikely. But even if the government does do that, you know, I will cover the story. Although you'll probably be aware of it already because there'll be kids all over the place saying things like, why dance if nobody is watching? Back in October, ProPublica published the results of an investigation into a Texas-based services company on the matter of price fixing. I actually thought about covering the story when it first broke, uh, but thought it was a little too regional. It's not really, but yeah, let's let's get into it. So the company 
is called RealPage. And one of the services that it offers to property managers, you know, landlords, is called YieldStar. And this is software that is designed to suggest optimal rental prices for property managers. Uh, the idea is that the software can help a landlord set a proper rental price for any given property, whether it's an apartment or a home or whatever. It takes all these different factors into account, you know, market factors for that specific region, what are other landlords charging, that kind of thing. And you get daily updates with suggestions about where to set rental prices. And ProPublica alleges that because you have so relatively few property managers out there, this software leads to situations where you effectively have price fixing and collusion between landlords, even though they're not directly talking to one another, by the, the simple fact that they're all relying upon this kind of software, it is the software that is effectively handling all the collusion. So ProPublica's investigation also revealed that like in parts of Seattle, for example, 70% of all rental housing is overseen by just 10 property managers. So you have just 10 entities overseeing 70% of the rental properties in this one place. So if these 10 property managers are using this software, then the vast majority of rental properties are going to have their prices determined by this software that's looking to maximize revenue for the landlords. I mean, that's why landlords want to use the software in the first place, right? They want to be able to determine how much can I charge in rent for this property that will maximize my own personal revenue, which makes sense. That's the whole nature of being a landlord. But if this software is doing it for all the different <laughs> property managers within a region, they can start hiking up that price and there's a lack of competition. You're not going to be told, hey, you need to set your price at this level because it will definitely still make you a profit, but it will undercut your competition and more people will be drawn to your properties. Instead, it's more like, here's how much everyone's charging, so here's how much you can charge. And ultimately, it's the end customer, you know, the renters who are hurt by this lack of competition. They don't have alternatives they can go to where they're not spending more than what the market would typically bear to rent their properties. So now U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown is calling for an FTC review into the matter after ProPublica published this investigation. This kind of collusion has happened in the past, but in this case, it's really interesting because it's the software that's facilitating the whole thing. Uh, it it really it gives the participating landlords an out, right? It's not, they can say, hey, we weren't trying to collude. We weren't trying to fix prices. We were using a tool to help determine how to run our business. Anyway, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this will lead to a full FTC investigation and what that outcome could be. Because it could mean that we see a real a strict kind of limitation put on this type of software in general, the type that's meant to maximize uh, revenue for, for certain types of services because it could lead to that anti-competitive situation. Finally, Meta, in its ongoing quest to make the future of the internet happen, even if nobody wants it, announced that it is testing a new feature on Instagram. That feature lets a, quote, small group of creators in the U.S., end quote, mint NFTs. And then users can purchase those NFTs. So 
It's an NFT marketplace that's integrated into Instagram that they're testing. The NFT marketplace is going to be on top of the Polygon blockchain. Uh, Polygon is just one of many blockchains out there. And that would be the foundation for this particular NFT marketplace. So you could you know, trade on the Instagram platform or directly onto the Polygon blockchain. Uh, users will be able to display their NFTs on Instagram. So I guess that's a that's a, a, an attractive feature. Now, I admit I am not the audience for this. Heck, I'm not even on Instagram anymore. So uh, I, I definitely am not the person this is targeted to. I still find the idea of buying NFTs to be questionable at best. Um, and creating a culture where displaying NFT purchases rubs me the wrong way. It kind of starts to get into this kind of conspicuous consumption idea. Listen, I grew up in the 80s. I just, I find all that icky at this point. So all of that kind of strikes me the wrong way at this stage. However, I can understand the idea as being a way to support maybe a specific artist, right? So let's say that there's a cartoonist who has uh, an Instagram account and this cartoonist has decided to mint NFTs of their work based off their work. So you purchase an NFT to show your support for that artist. You really like that artist. You buy an NFT to support that person. And so that's the nature of that transaction. And then you also have the opportunity to display your NFT on Instagram, which could act as a kind of promotion for that artist. You're, you're saying, I support this person. I think they're worthy of support. You should check them out. When you think of it that way, I can groove on that. But I find the whole NFT approach to be questionable at best. I have proven myself to be completely out of touch on these sorts of things. So I'm just going to stop talking now and I'll, I'll wait to fade into oblivion. While I do that, if you would like to get in touch with me and let me know about things I should talk about in future episodes, you can do so by downloading the iHeartRadio app navigate over to the tech stuff page and you can use the little microphone icon to record a message up to 30 seconds in length. Let me know what you would like to hear. I look forward to hearing from you or you can pop on over to Twitter while it's still a thing and send me a message there. The handle for the show is tech stuff HSW and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 